So I'm super excited to be here, as always. Um, fantastic new series that we're starting. We're actually kicking off uh, a new series tonight. On the announcements there, it said that Pastor P is going to be kicking off um, this series on Sunday. Now, that uh, was for the announcements, which you may have noticed was run on Sunday. Uh, and if you are a Sunday churchgoer and not a Wednesday churchgoer as well, the Sunday churchgoers are actually having their series kick off, so to speak, on Sunday. And they have um, a four-part series. Um, now, those of you that are hardcore and that are here on the Wednesdays, you get an eight-part series. So you get twice uh, the delivery for your money. How about that look? Uh, so that's awesome. So you have an eight-part series which is kicking off tonight. Okay, so part one tonight. Uh, everybody else's part one will be your part two. Uh, so you're getting a head start on things. And the way that we're doing it is this. We are looking at salt and light, and this is going to be a very, very challenging series. It's going to be a very educational series, uh, but it's really, if you approach it with the right manner, if you approach it with the right uh, perspective and the right outlook, um, I, I personally believe that it's going to give you an opportunity to really change your relationship with God. It's a bold statement to make. Um, but I can assure you, if you approach this in the right fashion over this coming four weeks, the, the following eight um, <clears throat> messages, you are really going to, as I said, have your life impacted, I promise you. Sundays, what's going to be happening on Sundays is we're going to be learning about what it means to be a Christian in today's world. Uh, we're going to be stripping things down to the basics. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the different aspects of being a Christian, the different things that uh, you know, you're ad advised to do, the different things you're instructed to do by uh, God through his word. Uh, we're going to look at what it means today in the United States of America to be a Christian. We're going to be looking at your role as a Christian. That's what we're doing on Sunday. So Sunday is going to be kind of educational. It's going to be teaching. It's going to be bringing things back to basics. It's going to give you an idea of what you should look like as a Christian in today's society. Okay, so that's Sundays. Wednesdays, what we're going to do is this. We're going to ask you to pick up a mirror, look in it, and see how you're bearing up with the stuff that you've learned on Sunday. So Wednesdays is going to be a real challenge for you. Okay, Wednesdays is really going to be a case of you looking at you, looking at you as a Christian and seeing where, if anywhere, forget the if anywhere because we all fall short, where you fall short uh, in, in those areas, okay? So Wednesdays is really going to be challenging for you. As I said, if you approach it with the right perspective, you're going to definitely gain from it. Uh, and I say that and I'm speaking to myself as well, okay? So we're really, really uh, excited about this. It's going to be informative. It's going to be hard-hitting. And, as I said, it's going to be challenging, okay? But I don't believe that you're here to be entertained. Amen? 
You're here because you want to grow, am I right? Particularly on a Wednesday evening, okay? You're here because you want to grow. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we love you. We thank you for all things, God. I just thank you for this wonderful church. I thank you once again for this opportunity to share your word, Lord. And I pray that you would use me, Father God. I pray for open hearts, open minds. And I pray that tonight lives are changed by your word, by your instruction, and by your guidance. We love you so much, and we give you so much praise and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Okay, salt and light. Let's look on, uh, start off by looking at where the inspiration uh, for this series title comes from. Okay, salt and light comes from uh, Matthew 5.13. And this is Jesus speaking. Uh, he's talking as in what we now know as uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And he's saying to the people, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, Jesus was the master of the metaphor. He taught in parables. He taught in stories. He taught in ways which were going to be understood by the people that he was speaking to. As I said, in this instance, he's on the Sermon of the Mount. He's talking to the masses, and he's talking to them about salt. And salt in those times wasn't just a seasoning. It was used as a seasoning to make uh, their food taste better, but it was also uh, used as a preservative. Okay, in those days, obviously, they didn't have fridge freezers, uh, so stuff didn't last too long. So what they did with their meat, in particular, was to actually rub salt into it. Okay, and that, that was used as a preservation method. So when Jesus is talking about salt, that's the way that they actually interpret it. That's what they, that's what they understood him to be meaning. He's talking about the, the preservation of things. And what he's actually saying there, he's comparing people to salt by saying, look, salt is used to preserve. But salt, in order for it to preserve, needs to do two things. Firstly, it needs to be pure. Secondly, it needs to penetrate. It can't preserve unless it penetrates. You're rubbing the salt actually into the meat, and it's penetrating the skin. So what he's talking about here is that salt's being used to preserve, but when it's doing that, to make a difference and for it to be completely effective, it has to be pure, and it has to penetrate as well. So he's uh, comparing, as I said, people to this salt, okay? He's, he's saying that people who believe in me, the people he's preaching to that have already uh, given their lives, have accepted the fact that he is the Lord and Messiah. He's saying that that salt is only good if it's still salty. In other words, it hasn't lost its salty flavor. It's become less salty by being made impure. There are impurities in the salt. If they have the salt that starts pure and then it becomes impure, it's good for nothing. You can't take salt that's mixed with dirt or soil or sand and rub that into meat. The salt is still there. The salt still tastes, tastes, still tastes salty, but it can't do its job effectively because it's now impure. Okay? So what he's saying is to the people, I need you to remain pure. You are going to be effective penetrating people's lives is what he's talking about preserving people's lives if you remain pure okay so that's where the salt comparison uh, comes in he's saying they needed to be pure and penetrating to be effective then in the next verse jesus uses another powerful comparison he says you are the light of the world a town built on a hill cannot be hidden neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, 
that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So much like salt penetrates meat, light penetrates darkness. And Jesus is saying here that to know the truth and fail to stand for that truth is as senseless as taking a lamp and putting it under a basket, putting it under a bowl. If you know the truth and you don't use it, if you know the truth and you don't stand in it and stand up for it, then it's senseless. It's pointless even knowing the truth in the first place. So he's saying there again, you know, we are saved. Your lives have been changed, not for the sake of us being saved, not for the sake of you being saved, but for the sake of others. If you are salt, you're only useful if you are penetrating and pure. And if you are light, you are of no use under a basket. That's where the salt and the light comes out. We are not to live out our lives as a Christian only while we are at church. We are to live out our lives as a Christian outside of these four walls. You come here, not for entertainment as I said, you come here to grow. Yes, for personal growth. Yes, for growth in your relationship with the Lord. But the end result, the means, that's just a means to an end. The end is that you are making an impact on other people. That you are being salt and you are penetrating other people's lives. We are to be a light in this world. So that's the basis of this series, this salt and light over the next few weeks. As I said, you're going to be learning how, what it means to be that Christian. And then you're going to be looking at aspects of your life to see where we can actually make improvements on doing what it is that we're called to be. Okay, Christian is not just a label that's put on you because you are saved. Christian should mean something to you, which obviously does, but it should also mean something to the people that are around you. Okay, so we are called to be salt and light, we're called to be pure, we're called to penetrate the world, and we are called to shine our light in darkness. All right, so as I said, Sundays, looking at Christianity, what it means to be a Christian, Wednesday, okay, on Wednesdays we are going to be looking at picking up the mirror and looking at yourself. And I say Wednesdays, plural, assuming that after tonight you're actually going to come back, okay? All right, so we're going to dive into uh, what we're talking about tonight. I'm going to set uh, the scene uh, for this evening's message, and you know, I thought it's an eight-part series, and we're looking at salt and light, we're looking at some challenging subjects, some challenging topics, so what I thought was, is I'll start off nice and slowly, nice and softly, uh, and I won't step on any toes or challenge you uh, too much, that's, that's what I thought, <clears throat> and then I thought, nah. Okay, so um, the title for tonight's message is, When You Believe in God but you don't really know him. When you believe in God, but you don't really know him. What we're looking at tonight is what it looks like in our lives when we know God and what it looks like when we don't. Okay, We're all in the same boat. Every single one of us could have a better relationship with God. Agreed? Anybody here think they have a perfect relationship with God? Because you're allowed to leave if you do. Okay. All right, so I'm not alone. We all have room for improvement. We can all get a closer relationship with God, all right? And we're all growing all the time. So this evening, I'm going to be covering some area, and I want you to know there's no condemnation. There's no judgment. I'm speaking to you just as much, if not more, as I'm speaking to, sorry, I'm speaking to myself as much, if not more, as I'm speaking to you, okay? Uh, we're all in the same boat. We're all here to grow, okay? All right, so everyone here tonight will be able to say that they know of God. Everyone in this room should be able to say, yes, I know of God, okay? I'd imagine that most, if not all, of you would be able to say that you believe in God. 
maybe there's a few, slightly fewer number, slightly smaller number of us that could say that we know God and we have a relationship with him. But I wonder how many of us, of us here tonight would be able to say that we have a close and intimate relationship with him. None of us here have a perfect relationship with God. As I've said, there's, all, there's a room for improvement for each and every one of us. That's without question. So in every area of our lives, if we want to improve something, we need to first assess how good it is. Agreed? And then we look at ways of making it better. Every area of our life. And our relationship with God is no different than that. Firstly, it can absolutely be improved. We've established that. And secondly, it absolutely can be assessed. What do I mean by that? I mean, you are able to look and say, how is my relationship with God? Okay, so what I'm going to do tonight is run through some indicators, some things that will actually show you where you stand right now with your relationship with the Lord. Now, our relationship with God is different to any other relationship. With other relationships, we get direct feedback from the other person to the things that we're saying and doing or not saying or doing. I can pretty much gauge how good my marriage is on a day-to-day basis, how good my relationship is with my wife, based on how she's reacting to the things I'm saying or doing. Agreed? I can tell how well my relationship is going on that particular day by the look on her face, by the words that she's using, by how loud she's screaming, okay, whatever it might be. All right, there are indicators which will show me and give me direct feedback there and then in that moment as to how I'm doing. Now, my relationship with God is not necessarily the same as that. We can't always get immediate feedback, all right? So how do we assess how close we are to God at any given time? How well uh, we know him, in other words? How do we assess that? How well do we know him? Well, we look at our lives. We look at what's going on in our lives, and we look at what's going on around us in our lives. We look at the things that we're doing, we look at the things that we're saying, and the way that we are feeling about things. Now, does that show us how close we are to God in that moment? Yes, it does. Okay, let me show you where this is in Scripture. 1 John 2, 3 and 4. And we can be sure that we, that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. Now, that's fairly clear, wouldn't you say? All right, if I say to you, yes, I know God, but I'm not obeying God's commandments, then that makes me a liar. And it means that I'm not living the truth. Now, that's a a perfectly clear statement. And every clear statement has an opposing clear statement. In other words, there's an opposite. And that's given to us in the next two verses. Five and six says, But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. So love is not only a word that describes a feeling, it describes action. Love is not just something that we convey in our words, it's conveyed in what we do. So simply put, if we know God, and I mean really know God, and if we love him completely, it will show in our lives for others to see. It will be displayed in our choices and the things that we do. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. All right, that's what the scripture says. Now talk about setting the bar high. I mean, how high can you get apart from living your life like Jesus did? Okay? There are some uh, that would use scriptures like this to justify not attempting to do better. 
Some people will read that scripture, they will read, well, you know, I'm supposed to live my life like Jesus did. There's no way that I can be Jesus, therefore there's no point in me even trying. Therefore, I'm not going to try and improve closer my relationship with God. Does that make sense? There are people who would actually switch off because, you know, well, I can't be Jesus, so I might as well not even bother trying. Okay, but it's not talking about us being Jesus. It doesn't say be Jesus. It says, it doesn't even say that we need to be perfect like Jesus that we should be sinless like Jesus. Because if we needed to be sinless, it's too late. We've all blown it. We've all blown that one. All right, so we can't be Jesus. We can't be sinless like Jesus. It says we should live our lives as Jesus did. Now, what does that mean? It means that we should make choices and decisions with the same motivations that Jesus did. Jesus didn't just speak of his love for his Father. He did it. He lived that love out. He displayed it. And that is what we will do when our relationship is right with God. When we truly know God, we will live out our love for Him. So tonight and each Wednesday, as I said, it's about self-examination. It's not about me up here calling you out or pointing the finger. Because God knows I've got work to do just as much as anybody else does. So as I run through these indicators of someone that doesn't know God as well as they could, I want you to ask yourself if they apply to you and your life. Self-examination, not me examining you. Self-examination. Okay, so let's look at a few ways to check your relationship. People who don't know God don't love as they are supposed to. All right? Now, notice I didn't say that people who don't know God don't love. Because people who don't know God can and do still love. They just don't love the way that they are supposed to. So how are we supposed to? Unconditionally. That's how. That's how we are called to love. Unconditionally. So I have to ask myself, do I love everyone? And do I love everyone without conditions? Do I love people that others would see as unlovable? And do I love those that I know do not love me? Look at this scripture, Luke 6.32. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. So like I said, loving in itself is not an indicator that you are in a deep relationship with God. You can't say, oh, well, I, obviously I love God because I love other people. Okay? It says even sinners love the people that actually love them. The test of my relationship with God is whether I am displaying love to those that don't love me. Am I showing unconditional love to those that I am showing love to? Too many people give love but with strings attached. I will love you as long as this is the case. Or as long as you don't do that. Conditional love is not the way we are called to love. It's not the way that Jesus loved as a man. And it's not how Jesus loves us now. If his love towards us was conditional on things that we did or didn't do, he wouldn't be loving many people. That's for sure. Not one of us deserves the love that God gives to us. And that's the love that we are to pour on others in exactly the same way. Whether we think that they deserve it or not, we are to love others the same way that God loves us. So, all right, but what about my enemies? What about those who are actively against me with the things that they do or say? And most of us have those people that are against us, 
actively and proactively against us. What about those people? Well, thanks for asking. Here's what Jesus had to say about that one. Luke 6.27. But to you who are willing to listen, I say love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Do good to those that hate you. Is that easy? No, it's not. If I'm not doing good to my enemies, am I not saved? Does it mean if I'm not doing good to my enemies, then my relationship with God is in question full stop? No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that at all. What it means is, is your relationship with God could improve. That's what it means. And why does it mean that? Well, because when our relationship with God is close enough, your relationships all around you will change. Let me say that again. When your relationship with God is close enough, all of the relationships around you will change. The people around you will not necessarily change. The people around you will still do stupid stuff. The people around you will still say stupid stuff. The people around you will still do irritating things. But your perspective on how you love them will change. It will change because when your relationship is in the right place with God, you will know how ridiculously undeserving you are of the ridiculously overwhelming love that God has for you. And you will pay that love forward to other people. The closer you are to God, the closer you know, the, the more you know God, then the more you come to understand how much he loves you and how little you deserve that love. And when you know that, you can't do anything but pay that unconditional love forward. Okay. Next indicator in your life. People who don't know God judge other people. This is one that a lot of us here fall short on. That's sad, but it's true. The vast majority of us suffer from what I'd call self-blindness on some degree or another. What's self-blindness? Well, we will express an opinion about someone else or someone else's spouse or someone else's kids without realizing the very thing that they are judging someone else for, the very thing that we are judging somebody else for is something that we are guilty of as well. But we don't see that in ourselves. We have self-blindness. We are so quick to judge other people. I hear it over and over again in conversations with people. And people will always deliver it in such a way as to not be speaking badly of such and such. Or I'm not speaking badly of such and such. Or in such a way that they feel that they're being helpful. Okay? And we can dress it up however we want to dress it up. But ultimately, if we are expressing a negative opinion about someone or something that someone did or said, we are judging. You can't dress it up and, not, and stop it from being judging. You can, don't have to call it judging, but you are judging. And one of the things that we are instructed to not do is judge. Luke 6.37, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Now remember, right back at the beginning of this message, we spoke about the scripture that says that those who know God will obey his commandments. Okay? These are not the rules according to Pete. These are in the Bible. These are commandments. These are instructions. These are the very things that if we are following, will display the fact that we know God. So by definition, if we are not displaying these things, we don't know God as well as we think we do. Does that make sense? Everybody's still with me? Nobody's left yet, so I think I'm doing all right. Okay, so if we are judgmental of other people, it's a reflection 
Not of us, but it's a reflection of our relationship with God. So again, let me make something here clear. When our relationship is right with God, we don't stop judging people just because we're instructed to. Just because we know that scripture will not stop us from doing the judging. We don't simply stop expressing what it is that we're thinking. So in other words, we don't still judge them in our mind, but just not express it. Okay? What happens is this. When our relationship is right with God, we stop judging. I don't mean we stop verbalizing. I mean we stop thinking it. We stop judging other people. Our desire to judge other people leaves. Why? Well, for much the same reason as with the whole loving unconditionally thing. When you are close enough to God, you will fully recognize and realize how much God could judge you. How little we actually deserve his mercy, as in not at all. We don't deserve his mercy at all. And how much we do deserve his judgment that he is not bringing on us. Not only has he given us forgiveness, which is not punishing us for the things that he should punish us for, he has the right to punish us for. We have his mercy, which, and we have his grace, which gives us things that we don't deserve. When we are close enough to the Lord, we know that. We don't have to think about it or wonder about it. We know about it. So all the sin that we have committed in our lives, all the sin that I've committed in my life, God is not judging me. God has forgiven me. Everything. Now let me tell you, my account was bad. I mean, it was real bad. I remember when I was first saved, back in England, my, my best friend for years, I mean, I'm talking about, we, we would die for each other, me and, my, me and my best mate, we were real close. I helped him out on lots of different occasions, he helped me out on lots of different occasions. He was an atheist. He absolutely denied the existence of God, said that God could not exist. Now, bear in mind, he did actually believe in aliens, and he believed that the um, pyramids were built by these aliens, and he had all of the support and evidence accordingly. Uh, but he was an atheist. Now, I was an agnostic, which meant I was on the fence, as many of you already know. Uh, so I hadn't committed myself to be an atheist, uh, but he absolutely was an atheist. I remember Molly led me to Christ, and then about a couple of weeks later, I was around visiting my friend. He had six kids, uh, and at the time, I think the oldest was like 16, 17, and we were talking, and it came up in conversation that I'd given my life to Christ, that I was now a Christian. And this 16 or 17-year-old, I'd actually been camping, uh, I'd been living in my mate's garage for nine months, like a year before this, this had happened. So the, the, I was part of their family. He knew me real, real well. And this 17-year-old lad, uh, I used to hang out with him. I used to drink with him. I used to smoke weed with him. I used to just hang out with him. He's a great guy and stuff. We had a lot of fun together. Uh, but we were doing stuff that we shouldn't be doing. And um, I was around his house, and he came in and said, I just heard something. I said, what? He said, you're, you're a Christian. I said, yes, I'm a, I'm a Christian. He said, you believe in God? I said, yes. Now, bearing in mind, his dad's an atheist. He didn't say to me, you believe in God? He said, you believe in God? Meaning what? Meaning he's been around with me. He knows my account. His dad knows stuff about me that nobody else knows about apart from God. He, they knew my account and they knew where it was that I was at. So I know two things. I know this. I know that if God has forgiven me, 
then he has forgiven you. If God can forgive me for what it is that I've done, he can forgive you for what it is that you've done. So that's the first thing I know. The second thing is this. If he has forgiven you, who am I to judge you? If he has forgiven you, I am nobody to judge you. So we need to be very careful about judging other people. Whatever it is I might be thinking about judging you for, it's probably not as bad as half the stuff that I've actually done. And likewise with you. When you're judging somebody else, it probably pales into insignificance compared to some of the things that you've done in your life. Some of the things that you've done in your life that you have been forgiven for. So, people who know God well enough don't judge people. They just don't judge people. The next indicator to check yourself on. People who don't know God don't give as they are supposed to. People who don't know God don't give as they're supposed to. Our relationship with God determines our generosity. If you are not a giver of your time or your finances or your talents, if you don't give, you do not know God as well as you could. Proverbs 3.27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in the power of your hand to do so. That includes, but it's not limited to, your finances. It's also your time. It's also your talents. If you're holding on to those things and you're not using them for what they were created for, then you don't know God quite as well as you should do. Once again, there's a trend here. When we are close enough to God, when we truly know who it is that God is, when we recognize how much God has given to us, it makes us realize that all of it is his anyway. That everything we have is from him. And we are called to steward it, not own it. Everything you are given, you are called to be a steward of. You are not given it to own it. You are given it to steward it. So the last indicator for you tonight is this. People who don't know God are not salt and light. Now I'm going to be covering this more in two weeks from now. I'm going to be speaking about a message that specifically talks about sharing the gospel, about evangelism. I'm going to be talking and asking questions. And again, it's going to be a very challenging message. Okay? We've taken photographs of everybody that's here this evening. We expect to see you all back in two weeks. Okay? Um, <clears throat> that's a joke, by the way. All right, so you, they're not salt and light, people who don't know God. Okay? When we are not close to God, we don't do what we're called to do as regards leading other people to Christ. It's a calling. It's a commandment that we are given. Okay? We're called to spread the good news. We're called to not just do random acts of kindness, though those things are very, very important. We're to speak about what it is that God has done in our lives. Random acts of kindness are awesome. And random acts of kindness, again, that's being a Christian. That's being good to people and that's loving people. But to make it one step further, how about doing a random act of kindness and then giving God some praise and glory while you're doing it? How about using that and then following that up with about speaking to them about why you're doing that? Why? Because I've learned that as a Christian... Okay, opens up conversations and such like. Okay, but we are called to spread the news. We are called to speak about what it is that God has done in our lives. Now, if we don't know God particularly well, and we don't recognize what it is that God has done for us, we're not going to speak about it. We're not going to speak about it. I know I've said this before, but you're not going to be able to speak at length or be confident in speaking or confidently even starting a conversation about something that you don't know anything about. You're not. And the same applies to God. 
the more you know God, the closer you are. Firstly, the more ammunition that you have, the more, you know, I will talk to, about God with anyone. I will speak about God with anyone. Now, I don't talk about God with everyone. I'm not walking up and down the street or getting a soapbox out on a corner or making a, a fool of myself in Walmart, okay? Repent or go to hell. Repent or go to hell. I mean, that's not going on. I'm not speaking about God with everyone, but I will speak about God with anyone. You understand the difference? I'm totally confident in speaking about the Lord. Why? Because it doesn't matter what Bible verses and everything I know. I know what God has done for me. I know what God has healed me from. I know where God has put me in my life compared to where it was before. I know that he has taken me from darkness and he has put me in light. I know that he has healed me. I know that he has broken bondages in my life. I know all of that. I know that. I know that. I know that. And no one can take that away from me. Now that gives me the ability and the confidence to speak about Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you this. He's done what he's done for me, for me. But just like that, he's done what he's done for you, for you. You are no less equipped than me. You are no less armed than me. You have no less authority than me. You are called to spread the word, to spread the gospel. You are called to be salt and light. Spreading the word is one of these commandments that we're to follow. Matthew 28, 19. This is the call, what we call the Great Commission. Jesus Christ saying, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are not saved solely for us. When we're in close relationship with God, we're much likely to share our faith with other people. Why? Well, again, we know what God has done for us, and we want to share it. Okay? Remember, we are called to be obedient to God's commandments. Let's look again at 1 John 2. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. So all these things I've been speaking about, they're all commandments. They're all not in the Ten Commandments. They are in the commandments that Jesus Christ is speaking of. He is instructing. He's not suggesting. He is instructing. He is commanding. And it's in these living out these commandments, by obeying these commandments, that we are displaying that we know God. If we're not obeying, we don't know him. We don't know him as well as we could know him. And again, that's not to condemn anybody. It's not to judge anybody. It does not mean that you are not going to heaven. It doesn't mean that you don't have eternal life. You are saved. If you have accepted Jesus Christ into your heart and you accept the fact that he is your Lord and Savior, that he died and that he rose again, you are going to heaven. So your salvation in itself is not in question. That's not what I'm saying. And I don't want anybody to get that message. I'm not saying that you don't know God, period. I'm saying that you don't know God as well as you could do. I will go one step further and be even bolder and say, you don't know God as well as you should do, is what I would say. Obedience. How well we know God is displayed by our obedience. Let me tell you something about obedience to God. The more you know God, the easier obedience is. The more you know God, the easier obedience is. Why? Again, it's a common theme. When we know God closely and intimately, obedience is easier because we stop being obedient because we feel like we have to. And we start being obedient because we want to. Now, there may be people that you know that are more obedient to God's word than you, that you look upon as being different to you. 
Maybe you think that they've got more self-control or more self-discipline than you. Maybe you think that they are a better person than you. Maybe you think that God has shown them more favor than you. Or maybe you look at that person who has a closer relationship with God and you look at them and think that they're a bit of a teacher's pet. None of these things are true. They started in exactly the same place as you. Maybe even from a place further back than where you are right now. All they've done is to get to know God better. They've gotten closer to him. And they now have realized and fully accepted what God has done for them. And as a result, they now desire to please him and be obedient to him. Now, I say all they've done is to get to know God better. As though it's an easy thing to do. And there's a reason for that. It's because it's an easy thing to do. It's an easy thing to do. I want to give you some encouragement that your relationship with God can absolutely improve, that it can become something that you can't even imagine right now. It can become what you maybe have seen other people have, but what you're believing right now can never happen for you. But I want to give you encouragement, I want to give you hope, and I want to give you some practical advice on how to improve your relationship with God to get to know Him better. So I'm going to rifle through these things, okay, and how you can improve your relationship with God. Getting to know God better. Number one, you decide. You decide that you are going to improve your relationship with God. Everything we do starts with a decision. Everything we do and keep doing starts with a quality decision. Decide to get closer to God. God is waiting for you. He has already decided to be in relationship with you. He created you to be in relationship with him. He doesn't have to go through a thought process of whether or not he wants relationship with you. That was done before you were created. So you have to decide. You have to decide. You can be in relationship with him once you have decided to be so. Number two, commit. Commit. Commit to that relationship. This commitment is zero risk. 100% zero risk. You have no chance at all of being rejected. No chance at all of being rejected. God has already committed to you 100%. 100%. He knows every single thing about you. And he has committed to you 100%. That's truth for me, and that's truth for you. Thirdly, do. What do I mean by do? I mean do. Get to know him. Get to know him. How do you get to know somebody? Well, you hang out with them. You ask them questions. You learn what you can about them. You develop a relationship by opening up to them, by making yourself vulnerable to them. How do you do that with God? You pray. You pray. We speak about praying so often in this church. We speak about praying so often. Why? Because prayer works. Prayer works. You're instructed to do it. It's communication with the Lord. No prayer means zero communication. All one way. With no prayer, it's all one way. You can learn about God from the Word, but without prayer, there's no two-way communication. That's not a particularly good relationship if it's one-way communication. Prayer is essential. Number two, read the Word. Read the Word. Read the Word. Read the Word. 
We keep saying, read the word. And I've said before, and I say this in classes, read the word does not mean pick up your Bible, turn to page one, and keep going until you reach the end of Revelation. Let me give you a clue. You won't achieve that. You will not do it. You'll get through the book of Genesis because it's great fun to learn about Adam and Eve and all of these wonderful stories that are going on there, half of which have had a movie about them and the rest of them probably are going to have a movie made about them. There's lots of stories in there, okay? You hit Numbers, you hit Leviticus, you're going to struggle. And you're going to put the Bible to one side and you're not going to keep going. Okay, if you're not reading the Bible right now, pick up the Bible and go straight to the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Read the Gospels. Read about what Jesus Christ did. Read about all of the stories and the parables that he taught. Study those Gospels. Read about them. And then read the next book in the New Testament, the book of Acts, which tells you about the early church. Again, it's fascinating stuff. It's interesting stuff. You'll learn all about Paul. You'll learn all of these things about that. And then that will lead you into the rest of the New Testament because Paul wrote two-thirds of it. And it's awesome. And then when you've read the whole of the New Testament, come back, see me, and I'll tell you what to read next. Okay, so don't, as I said, don't fret and think you have to read from cover to cover in the Bible. You're not going to be able to do it, okay? I've done it, I've done it two or three times, and that's not to brag, it's because I'm just hungry, 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 hungry. And I want to learn about it, and now it's part of my job description. I kind of need to know a little bit about the Bible, okay? But I will do it. But I, I too, have to plow through those books. I have to dig deep to get through those books. I have to remember that there is an end to those books, I have to remember that there is a, you know, a purpose for it. I'm not, knocking, I'm not diminishing the importance of those books because they are historical, they're essential, they are good enough for God to put in the book. I'm not going to question that they should be there or otherwise. But what I'm saying to you is, if you have never read the Bible, don't try and trudge your way through those books because you aren't going to make it. But read the Word. Get a devotional book. Those ones that we have, the Word for today, they are awesome. They're about this much, like a paragraph, and they'll lead you on to a Bible verse, and then you can read that Bible verse. And if you've got time, I'll tell you what, read the verses around it. And if you've got a little bit more time, read the whole chapter. Okay, some days you'll be able to do that. Other days you'll have two minutes, but read that devotion in two minutes. Okay, there's no reason, there's no excuse, seriously, for you not reading the Word. Okay, all of us have got five minutes that we can actually set aside for reading. Praise and worship, you need to be in praise and worship mode. All of the time, praise and worship mode. Not just at church, in your car, at home, wherever it is that you might be. Now, do I listen to secular music? Yes, I do listen to some secular music, but I don't listen to a lot of it, and I don't listen to what I used to listen to. Okay, what I used to listen to was a little bit off the charts. But I now listen to, yes, I listen to some secular music, but I listen to the vast majority of what I listen to is praise and worship. Why? Because it sets the tone, and I'm getting to know him. I'm being reminded all the time how wondrous our Lord is, how marvellous our Lord, how amazing our God is. You can't listen to much praise and worship and not have that fed into your spirit. And you are what? You are getting to know who he is. You're getting to know who he is. Attend church. I don't have to tell that to you lot because you're here hardcore on a Wednesday night. And please don't tell anybody on Sunday that I've said all this about the Wednesday crowd being hardcore and, and by implication they're not. Okay, because I completely deny it. And we'll burn every CD. Okay, now when you know God intimately, your life is going to change. It's going to change radically and irreversibly. You're going to sense him with you constantly. And some days you're going to feel closer to him than others. But those days that you don't feel quite as close is your fault. Those days that you feel, don't feel quite as close is because you haven't reached out to him maybe on that day. But the more you get to know him, the more you'll fall in love with him. 
the more you fall in love with him, the more you're going to want to please him. The more you want to please him, the more you're going to want to obey him. You have a desire to obey. So you will display obedience. And what will people around you know when you are being obedient to the Lord? What does the scripture tell us when you're being obedient? They will know what? That you know the Lord. That you know the Lord. I want to close by reading you uh, part of a psalm. David wrote this. He's in the Judean wilderness. The story of David is a powerful story, and again, there's lots of ups, there's lots of downs, and there's lots of hardship that David went through. He's in the Judean wilderness right here, and he's, he describes here how he, know, he knows God, how he sees God, and I'm reading this from the message because I, I personally think it's just beautiful some of the ways that he describes our God here. But my prayer is to come to know him the way that David did. I want to come to know him like David did. I want to be so close to him that whatever I go through in my life, I can sit down and speak words like this with ease. God, you're my God. I can't get enough of you. I've worked up such hunger and thirst for God, traveling across dry and weary deserts. So here I am in the place of worship, eyes open, drinking in your strength and glory. In your generous love, I am really living at last. My lips brim praises like fountains. I bless you every time I take a breath. My arms wave like banners of praise to you. I eat my fill of prime ribbon gravy. I smack my lips. It's time to shout praises. If I'm sleepless at night, I spend the hours in grateful reflection. Because you've always stood up for me. I'm free to run and play. I hold on to you for dear life. And you hold me steady as a post. We should be so close to our God. We should know him so well. We should love him so much that we would be a walking billboard. We should stand out from the crowd. We should be in this world, but not of this world. And we should be salt and light. Please stand. like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.